Uh, I want to ask you a question. Just think about this for a second. Do any of you have a, a bucket list of places that you would like to travel? Or you have just kind of a list of places you go. Uh, some of you like to travel in different places. Uh, and, and then I want to ask a second question. If you do, if you've thought that way and you're like, there's certain places, how many of you have actually got to go to some of those places that were on your list, maybe through the years, if you've had a list? Uh, I have for a long time. There's a whole lot of places uh, that I would still like to see. There's also a lot of places that I've been very fortunate enough to be able to go and travel to see. I think a lot of that started for me when I was in college. Uh, you may or may not know my undergraduate degree was in architecture. So I have a degree in architecture. And all those architectural history classes and all those things and studying buildings just gave me this desire of like all these places that I wanted to see. And so a lot of my list is kind of built around buildings and places, uh, kind of famous works of architecture. But it's a kind of split with that and and just beauty, places of just extreme beauty on this planet that we have. Uh, I think of places like uh, the Lauterbrunnen Valley, which is in Switzerland. It's one of the most amazing places that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, different works of architecture that I've gotten to go and see. Uh, there's a museum in Spain, in Bilbao, Spain, called the Guggenheim. And it is a giant, incredible, modern kind of work of art. This massive building that I long wanted to see. Or the Villa Rotunda. Uh, Andrea Palladio, probably the most famous architect, one of the most famous, if not the most famous architect, most influential to this villa on a countryside in Italy. And I got to go to some of those places. I've actually been uh, to the Villa Rotunda that Palladio did on this countryside. And I, and I still vividly remember going to that place. And before I went, it almost seemed like a mythical place. Like it's hard to believe that that exists. Like the beauty of the place and the setting and this building that's there but when you go there, I, I have vivid memories of going and, and walking down little streets in Italy and turning and, 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 and making your way out there. And you walk up and you go, oh, there it is, like that, that building that I've, that I've studied and I looked at and you had these classes on or, or, or the Lauterbrunnen Valley in Switzerland. A train takes you in and you pull up and you step out and you see this valley with mountains. You go, oh, I can't believe this place is real. I mean, it's that beautiful. It's overwhelming to think about. And I was thinking about just that experience of different times of getting to travel those places and kind of having that experience. And I was thinking about it in light of what Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5 of verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that experience of like, of wanting to go to different places and see them and then getting there and being like, wow, it's real. And I was thinking about that in light of what Jesus says here. Blessed are the pure in heart. You will see God. And the, the excitement of going to those places and having that experience, but how they pale in comparison to what Jesus is saying here. Not even close. The great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this passage. He says it's maybe the greatest utterance in all of Scripture. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. He says, this is what Christianity is all about. This is its very message. I want you to think about that for just a second. Jesus saying that you will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart that you will see God. And I want you to think about why that's so very important. We are made in God's image. We are made for him to know him and to love him, to have a relationship with him, to walk with him. That's what we are created for. All the great historic confessions of the faith start there. What is the chief end of man? To know God and enjoy Him forever. You were made for God. You were made for His immediate presence. 
You were made in his image to know and to love him. And he is the thing that will only ever fully satisfy you. And Jesus says here, blessed in the pure in heart, you will see God. If you think about what an incredible statement that is that he says here. And I want us to think about that together today in this way. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And so it's pretty important that we go, well, what does that mean to be pure in heart? How does that work? How is that possible? And so that's what I want us to think about today. And we're going to do what we've been doing as we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus, probably his most famous sermon. We've been working through his life chronologically, but now we've been kind of sitting in this sermon for a while. But we're looking at the Beatitudes, these blessed are statements, and then kind of fleshing them out with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to do that this morning with this idea about being pure in heart. And the way I want us to think about it is just to ask, well, what is it? Like, what does that even mean to be pure in heart? Secondly, how do you get it? How is that even possible? And then lastly, why is it so important? So what is it? How do you get it? Why is it so important? So let's just start with what is it? What does it mean to be pure in heart? If Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that mean to be pure in heart? And it's not too hard, I don't think, to discern as you start to think about it. Most of us could give a definition of what it means to be pure, Just that idea of purity. It means to be undefiled, no impurities, not mixed or divided, uh, no division, to be fully invested, right? We use that, we use that word even in that way. I think a a close, uh, similar uh, definition as it is in the Bible and what Jesus is talking about here. We might say uh, at different times, we we talk about just what purity, having a pure love or a pure uh, desire for something, and and we mean a fullness of it, right? And we say that and we talk that way and we kind of know what we mean when we say that. But then it says to be pure in heart. And I think we have an idea when we say heart, but I want to make sure that we're clear on what the Bible means when it says that. Sometimes when we say heart and we talk that way, a lot of times we mean emotionally, like a feeling. Right? I, I love him with all my heart, or I love her with all my heart. And we'll say that, and we mean that. And what we often mean or think of in our language and the way we talk is kind of an emotional, a feeling, some part in that way. But the Bible, when it talks about our heart, it talks about more than just that. It's not just a feeling, although it would include that. It's not just an emotion. But the Bible, it talks about it being the center of our personality, the center of our being. And it includes not just emotion, but intellect and will every bit of, of who you are. And so the way I'd say it is that the totality of your being. And so when Jesus says here, blessed are the pure in the fullness of who they are, they will see God. And he starts to define it that way and starts to talk like that. Fully invested, totally being uh, uh, in love with God and, and being undefiled and, and full in that investment. And so I want us just to think about that for a second. And we use language here like that when we talk about discipleship. So when you become a believer, uh, we're discipled to faith, and then we want to be discipled into maturity, and we talk about discipleship being the uh, mission that Jesus gave to the church. And so when we say discipleship, we say growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of your life, right? And that's what it means, like the fullness of your heart, the fullness of who you are, and the totality of your life. And so when you think about it, what Jesus is is calling us to is, is not just confession with your mouth it's not just actions it's not it's everything it's the way you think we, we could summarize it the way jesus says what is the greatest commandment to love the lord your god with your heart soul mind and strength the totality of your being 
And so what he's talking about being blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. It's talking about undefiled, perfect in every way, and all these things, no division. In the totality of your being, you will see God. And there's a problem that comes from that. And if you stop and think about it, how many of us would say that we measure up to that? That you're perfectly undivided, undefiled, pure in every way, in the totality of your being, in your love for God? And the answer is, we've all blown that. None of us measures up to that. And in fact, throughout this sermon, Jesus is kind of showing that. He's kind of shining a light on that issue and that problem, right? In a lot of ways, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's showing us what it looks like to live pure in heart. But as you read through it and you read through the things that he says, you go, oh, wow, that's really hard. I don't know that I'm there. I'm missing it in different ways. And he's showing us that it's not just outward, but it's heart that's underneath it. And he exposes that again and again as we read through the Sermon on the Mount. And the problem is for each and every one of us is that we're sinful beings. We've ignored God in the world he's created. We've not been undivided in our love for him. And it's got into everything and every part of our life. When we talk about the, the doctrine of sin and what it tells us in the Bible, that sin has affected the way we think and the way we feel and the way we perceive the world. Uh, I think of it sometimes almost like a, a snake bite. Right? What happens if you get bit by a poisonous snake? It's not just the, the puncture uh, of your skin that's the problem. It's the poison that's now got inside of you and has spread into your body. And it's similarly with sin. When we sin and it gets into us and it, it, it defiles all of the way we think and it distorts the way we think and we have this issue in every bit of our life. And so there's this problem here when we talk about Jesus saying, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God, because none of us is pure in heart. And the more that you read through the Sermon on the Mount, the more examples he gives and the more that you see this. Right? Even chapter 5, which we've looked at large parts of it already, but in chapter 5, Jesus says these sayings over and over. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And as he does that, a lot of times he says, you have heard it said, and he talks about something that maybe you do, but then he talks about the heart that's underneath it. And you, go, you might go, yeah, 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 I'm doing okay. I'm not doing that thing. And then all of a sudden he says, but I say, and you go, oh, right? Like chapter five here in verse 27, he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all of a sudden you go, you shall not commit adultery. One of the 10 commandments, right? Jesus starts there. You've heard it said, that's one of the Ten Commandments, which means sleep, uh, having sexual relations with someone who's not your spouse. And he says, there's, there's the standard, and you've heard it said. And don't have sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. But then he says, but I say to you, and he goes underneath the sin, the sin underneath the sin, and he begins to reveal the heart. And I want you to think about what he's saying there for just a second. Right? So we talk about uh, sexual sin. The Bible's very clear gives you the clear standard of the way God has created us. One man and one woman in a committed monogamous relationship for life in the covenant of marriage and that sex is supposed to take place inside that union. That's the way God's designed it. And when we go outside of that, we go, I don't think it has to work just like that. We're now in sin. We're ignoring God and the world he's created. We're going, okay, God, you said it works this way, but I'm not sure it works just like that. And I'm going to try it this other way. And that's what we do. 
so often. It's pervasive in our society. We kind of go, yeah, 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 that's, that's a good idea, but right, who's really going to do that? But Jesus goes deeper than that. He says it's not just that. It's not just the physical act, but it's the heart that's underneath it. And he says, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I'm telling you, even when you're thinking that way, when you're going there in your mind, you're doing the same sin. You've embraced the same sin and you're starting uh, to, to hold, uh, you're ignoring God and the world he created, even in your thinking. And so I want you to think about that connection there between the pure in heart, the totality of your being, and includes even your thought life. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the way you think. It's not just physical action. It's more than that. And Jesus is showing us that. He's bringing us to that picture and kind of laying it in front of us. And so we start to think about what does it mean to be pure in heart? Jesus says it's not just your actions. It's the way you think. And suddenly again, we're going, well, wait a second. Who measures up to that? But then he gives you another example. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He says you will recognize them by, by what they're doing. So he's talking about people who maybe talk big or, or use the name of God or talk in those ways. But when you start to look, their life doesn't match up to what they're saying. But then look at what he says in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's two pretty intense things that he says here. But I want you to think about what he's getting at. There's a couple of examples, a couple ways to think of that. If you look at those first few verses in verses 15 down to 20, and he talks about false prophets who come in sheep clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. I remember reading a book uh, not long after I started here at Church of the Apostles. I was going through a process and our church was joining Acts 29 and there's an assessment process. Acts 29 is a church planning network that we are part of. And they gave you different books to read. And one of the first books I read was a book called Church Planner. And it was talking about what it means to be a pastor, to go plant a church. And, and I remember like the first or second chapter, I was reading this book. And it's like, if you're going to be a pastor or you're going to go plant a church, uh, you have to be a Christian. And I read the book. Yeah, yeah, your response was my response. I read it and was like, duh, yeah, well, of course. And I thought, what a, I can't believe he took the time to write a whole chapter on, well, you need to be a believer if you're going to go plant a church. But sadly, from that time on, from the time I read that until today and in my life and, and people I've come into contact and with different things, I think there was a good reason that he wrote that chapter. I, this is just confession of my uh, how naive I am. I never even considered that someone would go be a pastor that's not a believer. And then through the years, I've met different people that kind of fall into that category. And, and I don't mean judging their heart. Uh, some of it's from afar that you saw things come out and different things. But what happens is people do that. I would like to go and have the position and people will pat me on the back and I can stand. I like talking and I like being in front of people and I like doing this. And they start to do it for all these other reasons. 
Or some, it's more nefarious than that. Remember, everything that we deal with and everything that's going around us is a spiritual war. And there are people that will come in and they're going to go, I'm going to go into the church, but there's all these things I don't like about the Bible and I'm going to change those things. I'm going to start to preach and teach in a way that goes contrary to what God's word says and I'm going to tell people and I'm going to... And all of a sudden that happens. That really happens. Or you, you could pick one of many examples out of kind of headlines of great big churches that you hear later on of someone who is uh, really, really heavy-handed, iron-fist, authoritarian, having uh, affairs and different things while leading a church. And you go, what? How is that possible? It's possible because we're sinful, broken people and people get into it for different reasons. And Jesus says here to beware that there are Sheep in wolf clothing. There are those that are false prophets. They're going to speak very authoritatively and say these things and lead people astray. And I want you to think, though, about how that connects back to the pure in heart, the totality of your being, this purity of of seeking God in all things. And you're not doing that. Instead of building or revealing God's kingdom, we're building our own kingdom. And I want to make it about me and what I'm doing. And we see that happen. And there's a disconnect there, a disconnect from the way you're living and what you really believe and what you're saying. And maybe you've seen different scenarios like that. But then in verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And he's talking again there about the connection between what you believe, what's going on in your, your heart and your belief and your mind and the way that you live. And is there a disconnect between those? He says, there are people that are going to stand before Jesus in judgment and say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things and I was all about you. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You go, whoa, how does that work? I've met a lot of different people, even in in recent years, that that talk very Christian. I go, yeah, yeah, I love God. I go to this church and I do this. Or it's like I was talking about before, like how much we put on social media And there they are volunteering and at the church and all these things. Or have you ever met someone that comes up to you and they're so kind and they're gracious and they're like, ah, it's so good to see you. And then they turn around and they start talking bad. Or they do that to somebody else and then they turn around and they start talking bad about that person they were just doing that to. You know what I'm talking about? They put on one face here and then they turn here and it's something totally different. And there's a disconnect between the outward persona and what's going on in their heart. And you see that in all different ways and missing it. And it's a picture of, of what it's like of, of not being pure of heart, of not seeking God in all things. And the truth is, if you really take the standard that Jesus says and you read through this whole of this sermon and the things he calls us to, what you realize pretty quickly is none of us are. We all do this at different times. The sinfulness of our flesh at different times starts to do these very things. And so I want to remind you, when we start there and we think about that, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And the answer is none of us is fully pure in heart. In and of ourselves and what we do, none of us are. None of us has lived up perfectly. But I want to remind you what Jesus says and how he starts this sermon. And I want to make sure that we see what he's saying in the fullness of what this sermon is. He starts with, what's the very first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that have an honest evaluation of who they are. 
that recognizes that we're messed up, that recognizes that we're not perfectly pure in heart, that there is a disconnect in the sinfulness of our heart. So I says, blessed are those who mourn, right? That mourn for their own sin and the sin of the world and see those things and go, I have not measured up. He says, they are the ones that will be, that will receive these things that he's talking about. That's where it starts. And so I want to remind you when you read through this sermon, Jesus isn't giving you a whole bunch of things that if you do and do really well, you'll become pure in heart by your doing. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this is what it looks like when you come to me and you transfer your trust to me and what I do for you. And I come into your life and I remake you and I begin to do this. And then you begin to live out of what it looks like of putting your trust in me. And this is what it starts to look like. But if we get that order wrong, we miss the whole thing. And so when we ask the question, if this is what pure in heart looks like, how are we ever pure in heart? And the answer is the only way that you are ever pure in heart is by putting your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. It's the good news of the gospel. It's why Jesus came to do for you what you haven't done. To meet you in the midst of your sin and your struggle and the problems you have and the way that you've missed all of it. And he steps in and does for you what you've never done for yourself. So he says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me and I'm going to show you what it looks like. So Jesus does for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And he saves us by grace through faith. And as he does, Jesus comes and says, transfer your trust in what you do to what I have done. He's come and he's lived the life that we haven't lived. And he dies the death that we deserve. And then he offers us the fruit of his perfect life by faith. It's the heart of the gospel. Say this each and every week. We come back to this over and over because we forget and we need to hear it over and over again. But when he does that and he takes your sin upon himself, which he pays for on the cross, and he gives you his perfect righteousness, and then the father looks at you and he sees Jesus in you and he sees you perfectly pure and clean. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. And it's not because you did it, but because Jesus did it for you. It's the only way it works. It's the only way that happens. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God because Jesus does it for us. God himself and his glorious grace and mercy comes and does it for us. And as he does... And as you put your faith, as you transfer your trust and you begin to give your life over to him, you're a new creation with a new heart and a new way of thinking. And it's all because of God's grace. But as you begin to live out of that identity and who you are, you begin to live into the things that he's talking about here. You begin to walk in these ways. And it's not that you then do these things so that you're accepted. It's because of what Jesus has done and the way he's changing you that you begin to walk them out. And so the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you transfer your trust, you are justified. You are saved. God sees you as he sees Jesus. He loves you perfectly and fully and completely. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. But then you wake up that next day and you're still in this sinful body. You're still in this world. You're still being influenced by all the things coming at you. 
And that's what we call our, our sanctification. Now we're seeking to live into our identity of who we are in Jesus. And that is a lifelong process. Sanctification and discipleship go hand in hand. So we say here we want to grow in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. We want to continue to grow up into who we now are in Jesus and live in the fullness of what that looks like. And so as he's showing us and teaching us, as we're coming to know him more and more and we're seeking him, we still struggle. We still have times where we operate in unbelief and we step back into our sin and we ignore God and the world he's created. And so my question for you, and I want you to really stop and think about this for a second, is when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Is that only a future promise? Is it only something that will happen when we die or when Jesus returns and then we will see God? Which is true and we will and we're going to stand before him. And if you are in Jesus, you will stand before him and you will know everything that he did for you and the fullness of his glory and you will see it. You'll be overwhelmed with who he is. But what about today? What about tomorrow when you wake up? What about this afternoon when you leave here? Is it just for the future or is it for now? I think the answer is it's both. And I want you to really think about this. One of the greatest promises there is in all of Scripture. That when you put your faith in Jesus, you are now united to God through the Son and what He's done. The Spirit comes and dwells in you and with you. God Himself is now with you, remaking you. Right now, today. And so the power of God that is going to redeem all of creation, that is going to make all things new and the fullness is now with you today, here, right now. It's not something that we're going to get later on. You have it today. And so what does that mean? That means today we get to walk in the Spirit. Do you have supernatural power available in you right now that you are perfectly pure because of what Jesus has done in God's sight even though we're still struggling with it and even though there's different times where we're in unbelief but even today right now you can walk in the spirit you can begin to die to yourself you can begin to seek God in all things and so when you start to go what does that look like One of the most helpful things for me when I start to think about, well, what does this look like and how do I do this and how do I walk that out right now today? Galatians chapter 5 talks about what it looks like to walk in the spirit versus walk in the flesh. It's Galatians chapter 5 beginning in verse 16. And I've read this so many times through the years, but even just in recent years, it's so practically helpful. And I'm talking about for me, not pointing the finger at anyone else. When I read through what Paul says here, it becomes really clear when I'm walking in my flesh and when I'm walking in the spirit. Listen to what he says. Chapter five, verse 16 of Galatians. But I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalry, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty serious statement. But think about that list there. It's not exhaustive because he says, and things like these. It's not a complete list, but it's very, very helpful. It's very helpful to see when I'm starting to walk in my flesh. And if I start to walk in my flesh, I'm not living fully under the rule and reign of Jesus in my life. I'm turning my back on him. And I want you to think very practically about this. But look look at the next thing he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And this is what it looks like when you're walking by the Spirit. And so I want you to think about this. Each day that we get up, we are tempted to walk in our flesh. The world's kind of geared towards appealing to our flesh. And so it is a constant bombardment in every moment of every day. And the world's going to tell you this is where your greatest joy will be found and this is what's good and you should follow these things. And you're constantly going to be drawn by that. And there's a battle that's going on. And the Bible talks a lot about this. And we're tempted each day to walk in anger and dissension and envy and impurity. And I want you to think about this. When you give in to those things and you start to walk that way, you're walking in your flesh, not in the spirit, and you're not going to see God in the way that you're operating. Does that make sense? And I mean that in a very real, literal way. In my heart, when I feel jealousy, I go, why does that guy have with that hat? I wish, you know, and I start to grumble and I complain and then I'm comparing and then I start to get angry and then I'm frustrated. I'm walking in the flesh and it's all myself and it's me and it's inward focused and it's a mess. But when I walk in the spirit and I trust what God says and I seek him and I stop and I go, God, would you take that from my heart? I don't want to think that way. I don't want to see people like that. Would you show me them the way you see them? Would you help me to love them the way you love them? And you know what happens? He graciously shows up. He goes, sure. And my heart changes. And instead of walking around angry and frustrated and dissension and rivalry and envy and jealousy and all these things, suddenly there's a peace and a patience and a gentleness And God reminds me of what he's done for me. And suddenly it makes you more merciful to the people around you. And you start to walk in those ways. But I want you to really stop and think about this because I mean this in the most literal sense. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. I've done this both ways lots of times in my life. Probably done it the bad way more than the good way. Uh, It probably outweighs a lot. But have you ever been in a situation where somebody comes at you and they're really angry? They're really ugly. They get right in your face and they kind of, and you have a decision. How dare you talk, right? You bow up and you go right back at them and it gets real ugly. Have you ever done that? Am I the only one? I've done that a lot. And you feel justified. Well, he was a jerk to me, so I'm going to be a jerk to him. And suddenly it's anger and dissension and, and all those things that are there. But I've also done it when somebody comes at me like that. And I stop, step back and I don't say anything. I think there's a lot of Proverbs about that. Like stop and think before you speak. And stop and pray. God, give me your heart here. 
I want you to be glorified in what's happening. And you know what happens? You take someone who responds ugly and you respond in kindness and all of a sudden the level goes down. And I've seen this happen. Even though they're being really ugly at you and it feels justified to go back at them, you go, I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to be kind and I'm going to continue to ask questions. I'm going to continue to meet them there. And you know what happens? God shows up and you see him. I mean that in the most literal sense. You see him move. You see the grace of God melt people's hearts right in front of you. Like it happens. And so sometimes we say, well, blessed are the pure in heart. You will see God. And that is true. And we will see Jesus in his glory and his fullness and he returns. But right now today and walking in the spirit and doing the things that he tells you to do and following him in all those things, you see him. You, you really see him and he shows up. And he changes people's hearts. And so often we just kind of push that aside. And we don't take seriously what he says. And we don't seek the holiness that he calls us to. And so what does that look like? Yes, walk by the Spirit. But what does it look like in your day to day? And how do we cultivate that? Years ago I read a book by a guy named Kevin DeYoung called The Hole in Our Holiness. And there's a chapter in his book, it stands out to me because I actually saw him uh, preach a sermon. And then years later, I read the book. And I think it's like chapter four was the sermon that I saw him preach. And I read it. I was like, I've heard this before. But what it was is he's talking about pursuing holiness. And I think it's chapter four in his book. He says, uh, it takes faith-fueled effort. And oftentimes we say things like, well, just walk by the Spirit. And it becomes this kind of like hard, vague thing. Well, just walk by the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? And what he does so well in that book, he says it's faith-fueled effort. That you get to work, you go to war with sin in your life. You don't settle for those things. You seek hard after purity. You seek hard after holiness in all things. And I think what he says in that book is really, he, he explains it well. I would, I would recommend that book to you. But I think what he says is, is profoundly biblical. I think it's what Jesus is saying here in chapter 5. Look at what he says. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he talks about the, the seriousness of that. It's not just the action, but it's your thoughts. But then look at the very next thing he says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. And so I have a question for you. Is Jesus just using this for shock value? Is this hyperbole? Your sin call, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Metaphorically, cut off the sin of, you know what I'm saying? Is that what he's saying here? Or is he, or is he that serious? And I think the answer is he's that serious about sin. He's that serious about going to war with your sin. And I want you to think why, because God created you and he knows exactly how you're created and how you're made. And he knows the effects and the ends of sin. And he loves you so much. He doesn't want you in that. 
He loves you that much that I don't want you to continue to seek these things that take you away from me. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. And when I go, I turn from the things that God tells me and I go, oh, it's not that big of a deal and I'll do it. I'm not seeing him. I'm missing the very thing that I was created for. And so when Jesus talks in such stark terms, I don't think he's being hyperbolic. I think he's saying it's this important and it's this serious. And so I would just ask you as you think about your life and wanting to pursue holiness. And remember, it's not you're saved by your holiness. It's because you're bought with a price and your Jesus is. And I now want to honor him in everything that I have. What in your life is causing you to sin? What is pulling you away? What is taking, grabbing your affection and pulling you from God? And I got to tell you, I read that. And it says, cut off your right hand if you have to. And I thought, how many of us need to throw our phone away? Right? And we kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm serious. Do you need to get rid of your phone and have a flip phone that can only call and text? Are all the other things that you use your phone for pulling you away from God rather than to Him? Is that too serious of a thing? I don't think it is. I think Jesus is serious about calling us to holiness. And it's because He loves you. It's because His ways are so much better than the things that we settle for. And I just ask you to ask God to show you, because He loves you, He will bring those things to mind. The Spirit convicts you of sin. Not to make you feel guilty, not to pile on, but because God loves you. And so ask Him, what are the things in my life that I need to change? What are the things that I need to cut off? As I seek to honor God in everything. So lastly here, why is this so important? And we kind of got into that already. But why is it so important? And there's two things I would say to you. Look at what he says there at the end, 21 and 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Or why does he say, in verse 29 and 30, it's better to lose one of your members than to be thrown into hell. Does it mean that if you have sin right now in your life or there's something you're struggling with that you're not saved and you're going to hell? I don't think that's what he means. I think if we take the fullness of what the Bible teaches, there are serious warnings, though, that say this. If the entirety of your life, you read through Galatians 5, and the entirety of your life looks like the works of the flesh. There's no works of the Spirit in your life. There's none. And it just looks like that. What the Bible says, is there any reason for you to believe that you know who Jesus is? And I think that's what Jesus is saying. It's that serious. And he's calling us to, to take that and look. Now that doesn't mean your works equal your salvation. Your works are evidence that you know Jesus and what he's done for you. And there will be works in your life. And if there's none and it doesn't bother you, and you're not struggling against those things, and you're just kind of floating along with, I'm fine with all these works of the flesh and no works of the Spirit in my life, then the answer is you're probably not His. It's that serious. 
But the good news is, as long as it's today, Jesus stands there saying, come to me. And if you feel that today and you go, I don't know. So ask God to, to speak into your life. Confess your sin, repent, turn from those things and begin to follow him. And he meets you in the middle of that. But then the second thing I would say, when we talk about the seriousness of it. And I mean this, if you're a believer right now today, the good news is you're going to see God. And you're going to stand before him in the fullness of his glory. In the pureness of, of heart, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. He's going to say, come in, good and faithful servant. And you're going to know that it's not because you were perfect and you were perfectly pure, but it was all because of Jesus. And you're going to see that and know that. But I would say to you, in all of this that we've talked about, the importance of it today. That is true of our future in Jesus. But what about right now today? And I would just say to you that everything that God calls us to and tells us here is it's for our best. You want to see God today in the way that you walk, in the way that you honor Him. It's better. What He's calling to you is better than the things that you settled for. Right? I think of Proverbs when it talks about that a man who returns to his sin is like a dog who returns to his vomit. I know that's really gross when you think about it. But it's a really good picture. And that's what we do over and over. I'm just I'm going to go back to this again. And it's not even good. It's not what God has for you. And so pursuing holiness right now today that we want to see God in everything that we do and everything that we are because of what He's done for us and because of who we are in Him. And it's better. It's precisely because He loves you that He wants your very best. And so, oh, that that would be the heart of each one of us here. So would you pray with me? God, we thank You for what You've done for us. We thank You that we are only ever possibly pure of heart because of You and what You've done for us. It's the only way that we can be in perfect relationship with you is because of what Jesus has done for us. But we also thank you that you've not just saved us for a future reality, but you saved us right now and you're working in our lives and you don't leave us where we are. And so help us to see that afresh today, that you are at work in and through us right now to call us to to follow you more fully. And that when we do, there is a great joy that can only come in seeing you. And so give us eyes to see. I pray for the ways right now that there's conviction of sin in this room of things that we're not doing, that we're not following you. We thank you for the conviction of sin. But we also thank you that you remind us that you've forgiven us in Jesus and that we are new creations and that we can rest in that. And so we pray that we would see that fully and perfectly today. Give us eyes to see you right now here today as we seek to follow you in all things. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.